0: Hey guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast
1: here to feed your curiosity. I'm Shivani. And I'm Melissa, and we are very excited to have human rights activist John Pendergast joining us today. John Pendergast is a human rights activist and best-selling author who has worked for peace in Africa for 30 years, including helping facilitate the end of the Ethiopian and Eritrean conflict in the late 90s. Pendergast is the founding director of the Enough Project, an initiative to end genocide and crimes against humanity. He is also also the author or co-author of 10 books. His latest book, Unlikely Brothers, is a dual memoir co-authored with his first little brother in the Big Brother program, a program in which he has been involved for over 25 years. Welcome to the show, Mr. Pendergast. Thank you.
2: I hope we get a chance to feed... Few people's curiosities.
1: Well, that, that is our intention here. Um, so, Mr. Pendergast,
0: uh, thank you so much for being part of the show. So, every single story has a beginning, um, and we'd like, love to kick off our show with learning about yours. Uh, you were once sitting here in our position, you know, the student role, um, trying to figure out what you were going to do with your life. Um, what inspired you to take on human rights issues?
2: Well, I, I was early on fairly um, obsessed with inequality, Unfairness, I think, would probably be a better word to describe it, so I, didn't, I wouldn't have been able to put it into terms of uh, equality or inequality yet, but um, I came from a difficult upbringing uh, inside the home, and so I felt I was always railing against what I thought was unfair, and just kind of, my, my brother was a wallflower and I was just a fighter, so we had a real different reaction to our own circumstances. And uh, so that, that spirit led me at first to want to work on behalf of disadvantaged kids in the U.S. that were uh, sort of cast away when they made a mistake. So kids in the juvenile justice system, dropouts from school, and other uh, categories of young people who uh, the system just didn't have a good way of dealing with them when they stumbled. And when they'd make a big mistake, the system would throw the book at them and lock lock and throw turn you know throw the key away and so um I, I thought that would be my career you know this is, I did a lot of, was working in uh, youth programs and I was, it became a big a big brother to little brother little kids and doing all kinds of stuff and uh, I came across at one point uh, a photograph or a series of pictures of what was happening in a, in a famine. In Africa far away and the nation of Ethiopia back in, uh, in uh, 1983 and I was just so taken aback by what I saw I just felt I didn't change my mind when I first about what I was going to do in life I just wanted to understand better how such human suffering could occur on such a huge scale without any kind of reaction so I decided to go to Africa and uh, long, long, crazy stories, but the, you know, uh, once I was there and once I worked there and once I experienced the situation, it changed my, the, the it altered sort of the, the, the path of my own life away from the, not that I stopped, I, st- I didn't stop working with the kids. I still kept doing the big brother, big sister program, but. Um, I, I made African human rights the sort of centerpiece of what my own professional uh, aspirations would be.
0: So you you mentioned that initial point where you viewed that photograph of the famine. What was the first emotion or series of emotions that went through your mind? Was it anger? Was it just horror? It
2: was. It was I think it would probably be uh, the very. I'm just reconstructing. Probably bewilderment. Okay. You know, just just like how's this possible? It just hadn't, you know, there are all kinds of social pro- problems and ills in the world. And, you know, we don't necessarily take them all in. And, and, and then there are times when for some reason, maybe it's a picture, maybe it's a story, maybe it's a book, maybe it's a, a film. Uh, we, uh, we suddenly are more conscious that this injustice exists. And it, And we feel somehow compelled to react to it somehow, uh, some way. And I had that moment, sort of the lightning striking about this particular phenomenon of famine, how people could starve to death in the world where we just were surrounded by so much. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't understand it. And so I was certainly outraged by it. I would say anger was definitely part of the mix. Um, And that, that, um, that collection of emotions, anger, determination, uh, bewilderment, you know, when you just can't understand and can't believe that something is allowed to happen. That, that collection of things I don't think I've ever lost. Like it's still the sort of engine for the, the, the ongoing work that I do, you know, because I, with each fresh atrocity or, 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 or story of uh, people starving to death or whatever terrible um, outrages of, of the day, I, I have for pretty close to the same reaction I did when I was 20 years old, 21 years old. So it, uh, it never really went away in terms of that gnawing feeling that we have to do much, much more to make a difference in these places.
1: One of the things that we've talked about with other speakers who have been on our podcast is inflection points. And it sounds to me like that picture was sort of an inflection point in your life or like a pivot. Um, And We're wondering if you could tell us maybe about some other inflection points you've had in your shift from government to, you know, NGOs, um, or just generally in your life, these like key pivot moments. Yeah,
2: I think one of them was, um, I I was working in a refugee camp in in Somalia, and um, and there was terrible uh, fraud being committed in these camps where the food was being diverted away from people and being sold, and People were getting rich off of it, and, and, and the and the kids were extremely malnourished. And you know, uh, in a bigger context, the government in the country in Somalia was bombing its own people, and who was pro- providing the arms and the money? The United States. I was just, it was just shocking to me how, when I thought that you know the U.S. wraps itself up in the mantle of of, of you know. Human rights and, and democracy promotion, and then you go, and then I went and saw what we were really doing in some of these places. And I was just, I was taking. A, it was all part of the Cold War. It was the US versus Soviets, and we were supporting this dictator, and they were supporting that dictator, and we were wrecking the country, wrecking the continent of Africa in some ways, through our the pursuit of our own agendas. And uh, so that at that point. You know, up till then, I had thought, well, I, you know, I'll just be an aid worker for my life because it's compelling needs, and I think I can help get the assistance to the people. But then I was like, I'm an American citizen. My con- my government is doing harm to some of these countries, and I want to go back and fix it. So that's when I became more um, uh, focused on policy uh, and U.S. policy, the way U.S. The United States projects itself into the world, what we choose to prioritize and value uh, and how it's manifested then in our, in our uh, foreign policy. So that, that became the, my, my key. Uh, so that was that probably was a, like an important inflection point for me to sort of make a, a twist in my career as a result of what I had seen on the ground and how damaging my own government's uh, actions were to mm. millions of people.
0: So going back to that you know, government um, and NGO splits, um, in all practical terms, you, you had an extremely successful career in government. Um, where did you feel like you were able to make the biggest impact in terms of resources provided, uh, implications of the job, um, in terms of versus the public sector versus NGOs? Where, where do you think you were able to do the most amount of good? Um, you just briefly mentioned that you you saw the horrors of what the U.S. government was uh, basically ravaging on the African government. Um, But was there ever a moment where you thought you were able to use the resources for good?
2: Yeah, so later on, after the Somalia thing, you know, 12 12 years later later or something, I I got the opportunity to suddenly come into government, to President Clinton's second term Mm -hmm. in office. His first term had been rather disastrous on Africa. We had the... uh, the fiasco with Rick Spart with regard to Somalia the Black Hawk Down and all the other things that people know about and then and uh, the next year Rwanda occurred in the US not only didn't do anything but blocked other people from doing anything I mean it's just an utter utter disaster of policy and so I was a very harsh critic of Clinton's first term not you know as, as uh, someone who wrote about African issues and and pushed them, and so One thing led to another, and I got an opportunity to co-work for him in the White House, and he had become very, very concerned, almost obsessed with issues related to Africa, and he wanted to do more, and so luckily I was in the right place at the right time, so I got to really do a lot with him, but also get probably a lot of greater responsibility than I may have been ready for. But anyways, I was there in in the spot. And so he sent me off to a number of different missions and long-term peace processes. So I got a chance to help negotiate on a number of different uh, peace efforts. And so I saw that when the United States had the right intentions, when we weren't there because we were trying to get somebody's oil or whatever, uh, but we actually... For whatever reasons, just said, "You know what this is an outrage this is happening, and we're going to try to help solve it like the u s could bring to bear a tremendous amount of influence and leverage to do this and so I got a chance firsthand to be part of teams that helped teams that partnered with Africans that helped bring an end to wars um so that so that certainly was impactful inside government, but outside government too, I think I've had a chance to be part of a lot of things. I feel a like, if you remember Forrest Gump, he would always pop up in all these different uh, places, these big historical moments, and he was just wandering in, you know, like, what's he doing there? Um, and I and I feel a little bit that way because I got a chance to be part of the anti-apartheid movement, which helped uh, globally, which helped free President Mandela and help uh, end the system of apartheid. I got a chance to be part <laughs> of the Blood Diamonds campaign that helped end some wars in West Africa and... Yeah, you know, it was all activism and outside of government. So much of it, and uh, and uh, the Darfur movement, which helped stop the government from of Sudan from using starvation as a weapon, which would have killed a million people easily, and you know, they didn't because the the spotlight was so high. And um, I got a chance to be part of the efforts to counter the Lord's Resistance Army uh, with my friends from Invisible Children, and you know, I think that that had a profound impact on the ground in large parts of Central Africa. So these are all like in Congo now with the conflict minerals movement we have, uh, we're making quite a difference there too. So I don't know, I think there, that there, there's been times where in my, my uh, professional life that um, being in government really did make a difference positively. Um, and then uh, similarly, uh, uh, being outside, you know, and when, when President Obama was elected, for example, um, I had, you know, worked quite extensively on his campaign. Um, I uh, thought a lot about how great it would be to go back into government and work again, but I had actually three cabinet mem- <laughs> members of his administration say, stay out there because what you do on the outside holding us accountable and pushing and pressing and building a constituency for us to do more inside is unique. So stay out wow. and do your thing. And we'll, we'll inside, outside partnership. It. So yeah, so, you yeah, know, okay, so if you say so. And uh, so, and I'm kind of glad I did because I, I've, I've got the freedom to, to, to do the stuff that I love to do all the time. And it's very hard. I mean, one of the things in government is difficult for people who have strong opinions is you, you lose... Far more battles than you win, and then you have to toe the line. Mm. Or else if you don't, just leave because you're not, you know, it's part of the arrangement. If you, you know, say you're uh, against uh, the nuclear deal in Iran, you can't just just go out publicly saying, boy, that, and and you work for the president of the United States, you can't just, like, I think that guy just made a big mistake. (laughs) Well, okay, you're not going to be working there anymore. So, you know, you have to swallow a lot. And you have to, you just have to lose all these battles because you're always. I mean, people like myself are just fighting, fighting for human rights to be at the center of things, and it just isn't. Mm. So you have to push it in, and 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 uh, so I, it was, it was quite a, a cultural shift to to be in government for those four and a half years. But um, you know, so I, I'm quite happy to be sitting out here on my own. But uh, but uh, I, I, the value of inside track and the value of outside track depend on the timing uh, can be, I think, equally profound in terms of the influence you can have.
0: Right. I mean, I think that's especially relevant for students. Um, So CMC being a very government-centric school, uh, there is that kind of mental debate about whether you should go straight into the public sector or sort of take a detour in the private sector. Um, And I think from your answer, I'm gathering that both have purpose in terms of a career.
2: So much. And and you look at some of the senior most Appointees, the senior most members of the administration, and there, most of them, are people that have gone in and out. Mm-hmm. They've not had one thing the whole. There's nothing wrong with having one thing. Staying in the foreign service, for example, working in, in the U.S. foreign service is a great career. Um, but the folks that are sort of running the department are people that have gone in and out. They've they've worked in the private sector. They've worked in the nonprofit world. They've worked in government. They maybe may have worked in the United Nations. So, you know, you've got this diversity of experience that uh, allows you to have, I mean, I can tell you from per, my personal experience is when, when I was in government, the fact that I had been out of government and doing all this stuff on the, at the grassroots level helped me enormously uh, uh, and, and just helped me distinguish myself to my superiors because I, I knew all these people and I knew the issues because I lived them. And then similarly being outside of government now uh, I, I, because of the uh, experience I had inside government and all the allies that I build up, I, I'm just so much more effective now at being able to move legislation or, or help move legislation or help, uh, press the uh, administration for a particular policy change because I know the people and uh, fairly well and uh, sometimes and really deeply. and. Uh, and uh, I know how the system works so sure. I don't have to waste time saying this when this is what you need to say or this is w- doing that when you really need to be doing this. So, and, and sometimes you have to live that to know it, you know, and, and it just, it's just it been very valuable. So I think that cross-pollination, pollinization if that's a word, <laughs> is definitely the, the thing that, uh, that helps you uh, make the biggest impact mm. uh, over a course of a career.
0: Okay. Great. Um, so moving on to, I guess a more academic question that that deals a lot with media. Um, in twenty twelve, you gave an interview uh, where you talked about the significant political impact that Kony twenty twelve, mm-hmm. um, the short video that basically went extremely viral, had on you know both the U.S. citizens and beyond. Um, the reach was definitely beyond and the U.S. government. Um, for those of you who may not know, the Coney 2012 video was a short film produced by Invisible Children Inc. that led to a resolution in the U.S. Senate and contribute to the dis- contributed, excuse me, uh, to the decision to send troops to the African Union. Um, so the question being, are media campaigns like Coney 2012 sustainable? Um, because there was that definitely the moment where it thrived, um, but it quickly waned so
2: yeah it's very very unfortunate that the, the 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 completely inaccurate lessons have been called and and um extracted from this quite vibrant political science uh case study um invisible children began in the early 2000s um and built a m- movement uh i was debating pres- professor Momdani once at columbia and he called it George Clooney's army of child soldiers who's talking about the activists. <laughs> I thought that was rather funny. So, but the uh, the, the Invisible Children, uh, you know, there's over a million young people all over the country, way before Coney 2012. And ironically, one of the great things I loved about those guys uh, is the founders, the three three fel- fellows that founded it, is they they were always, at least I, from what I saw, they were always putting northern Uganda folks from the region out front and being the spokespersons for things, though they would do their movie things, and, but then go, look, over here, and then those folks would tell the stories and go. And so this became an electrifyingly uh, successful grassroots movement mm-hmm. that uh, moved the uh, Bush administration, understand this is four years, five years before Coney 2012 happened, To uh, to step up its engagement, Mm. and then when Obama came in, he was hearing from his daughters, which is what he told me. He's like, I learned about it from them. Uh, That was getting pressured, he said, from them. And he also told me Obama told me that what these guys did, what I'm sorry, what the Invisible Children movement did, is it gave him space to do more because it was such political demand. Because all these Congress people. And senators were hearing it in their constituents, in their local districts, that they had to do something about this place halfway around the world. Nobody was telling them they shouldn't. So, of course, they went straight to the administration and said, why are you doing more? And then they pushed it to, right, to the highest level. And then Obama makes the decision to send uh, forces to support the African Union, to, to engage diplomatically, to do all the kinds of things that normally they wouldn't do about some place halfway around the world in the middle of Central African jungle. Total success story. And then Coney 12 happens. The success story had already happened. Like, it just wasn't news. Right. And then this video, which was an ill-chosen uh, approach, you know, they, they made hundreds of videos. And this one is the one that went crazy and went viral. And um, uh, the, the angle was off right it was it was it, it was a, it, it, it lent itself it, it opened those guys up to the idea of sort of uh, that there were uh you know the white guy coming in to save the day and that's not what they were about it just it it went wrong but that's the one that went viral and it appealed to like 95 percent of the people that watched it it mm-hmm. appealed strongly to but there was a very strong contingent of attack dogs that went at it For its cultural superiority and other kinds of themes, and then and then uh, uh, and then other things happen that you know, and so it was just uh, it was a very difficult time for the invisible children. But the point is, they had already made their big difference. Mm -hmm. The movement had already created the change. It's not screwing in light bulbs and watching the light go on suddenly. Foreign policy, you like you have like to change things. It takes time, and they changed the policy. The, the The policy then began to have an impact on the ground and it was a significant impact you know 10 years ago there were thousands of soldiers for the LRA there's 150 now Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that's a shocking success story and every other narrative about the failure or the weirdness of invisible children is just dead wrong and it's 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 a very unfortunate thing but you can't you know it's too late like the thing happened, and then the, the the one of the co-founders had the unfortunate public incident, and then everybody makes a big, just a joke out of it, and then it's like, but the truth of it is, and the, every single of the mil, of the million and a half young people who participated in those uh, efforts over the course of that period of time, they made a difference, and I hope that at least many of them know that that it wasn't some vain thing because mm. it's actually. Uh, on the ground today, the two and a half million people that were in displaced camps, living in some of the worst situ- squalor of in Africa, they're all gone home now. There is no camp in northern Uganda anymore. Wow. It's an incredible success story. Did I mention that? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, like, it just—it's—it's it's, to me, it's a bit galling that, like, there still is a narrative amongst very intelligent people that there's something wrong with that thing. Like, it is a pure home run. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Most organizations sitting in Washington, D.C. who are trying to change things on, a, on anything, domestic reform policy, they look at that thing and go, wow. Boy, did they bottle lightning and succeed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, thank you for enlightening us on that. Um, so w- moving, moving on uh, to the next question.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, this is sort of a shift towards current events. Um, You've written a lot of articles and books surrounding the war on poverty, and we were wondering what your thoughts are on the way candidates are approaching poverty in the 2016 elections, um, and if you have any recommendations towards how we should be talking about this and our public dialogue or even changes at the policy level.
2: Warren, oh, I've been writing about war and poverty, or is there, is there another John Prendergast?
0: No, meaning you you mentioned poverty, especially <laughs> in your Big Brother uh, yeah, book yeah, about yeah. The okay, effects. Okay, I'm just
2: kidding of, around. Okay, right. gotcha. So, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I am like, I, I am a little bit like, uh, I, I've become a bit curmudgeonly in, in my old age. If you guys could see me now, I was 86 years old. You didn't know that, did you? But, anyways. Um, I really, uh, uh, I really try to stick to the things that I have really worked on and know about and right. lived in. Um, when I wrote the book with uh, Michael Maddox, my my little brother, one of my little brothers, my first little brother from the Big Brother program, who I was just texting with in the car, shouldn't have been. I should have just been driving. Sorry, uh, right on the way over here. But he and I, you know, very close. Anyways, he, uh, we, we, the context. In which he uh his story uh uh which he told profoundly in the book uh required a, a real assessment of, of uh, gen- in general terms of the of the uh somewhat uh delusional approach to uh countering our social problems and ills in this country so i i happen to um be married to someone who is focused on, um, on. Uh, she works for the Equal Justice Initiative in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and they work on, on uh, trying to uh, alter, the the what's known as the school to prison pipeline. You know, the kids who are. Uh, the book is just thrown at them when they when they make a mistake, and and then. Uh, so, anyways, the idea being that. Uh, investing in, in and this is no not nothing novel, but investing in young people at an early age and early education and uh, after school programming and uh, tutoring and you know remedial work and all the kind of stuff getting them early and focusing on I mean every every single study ever done just shows like how much money can be saved like just for a purely utilitarian. Not some airy fairy. Well, isn't it be a better world if no? If you want to save money, taxpayers invest in these things, and so like I just find it unfortunate that like the, the the great preponderance of discourse often on the in the political realm. I think in the social science arena, there's great and rich debate, you know, but that often is separate from the political arena where you get nutty, crazy stuff going on. People saying things in the campaign uh, that are either very very harsh and, and 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 punitive.
0: Any specific names you want to throw out? There? I mean, it's very
2: <laughs> obvious to everyone, you know. Everybody. And that versus Absolutely. versus uh, then on the other side of it, which is equally unhelpful, like just these these big wish wish lists of things that you know making promises to everyone without any ability to pay for it. Like you know, it just it doesn't serve. The the, the, the the immediate crisis at hand, which is that we still have a, a shocking unemployment rate amongst African American youth in this country. We still have a shocking dropout rate. The test score diver, divergence between wealthier and poorer school districts remains uh, uh, unacceptable. All these basic things, and you know, you got this rhetoric just floating around. So um, I think the the president, the current president, has been very, very soberly step-by-step trying to address some of these things. I think he's going to have a very strong next 11 months uh, focused on some of these issues or 10 months, whatever he's got left. Um, I know that's one of his priorities, and I know that in his post-presidency, he'll probably be doing a hell of a lot on this to raise attention and and help the folks outside who want to make a difference to guide their efforts so that they make a bigger difference, so they... Do and say the right things within campaigns, within um, uh, reform efforts, and, and social movements that focus on poverty alleviation, mm-hmm. work uh, reduction, and other kinds of things. So, I, I um, I'm no expert, so I just talked for five minutes, despite the fact that I don't really know anything. <laughs> but I but I do, I do I do feel that it, just like with in foreign policy, with domestic policy, there are solutions. There's social science is cataloged and and categorized uh, huge numbers of uh, meaningful uh, empirically tested and driven uh, models for social change that if scaled uh, appropriately could make a difference and so i think that you know the more the executive branch is inhabited by people who uh, take the best of what academia, academia has to offer, and take the best of what the grassroots groups struggling on the ground all over the United States to make it an impact in their own communities, learning the lessons from them, and really building building on those lessons. Like I mean, I, I'm I'm relatively optimistic about the the the, the, the trajectory mm-hmm. in that regard. It's just the the, the the moment of the the rhetoric just seems uh, a bit. Dis- 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 Despairing with with uh, the lack of any kind of except for one or two candidates. Right. I'm not gonna, you know. You're not gonna name names. <laughs> Come on. So, you know, I, I do actually we do think that, you know, um that uh, Hillary Clinton has spent her life uh immer- in the trenches on changing things. Mm-hmm and making the compromises and, 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 some people, to some people, that's not enough. And, uh, she should have stood on principle all the time and it's, you know, nothing gotten done. So, um, I think that, you know, the kind of thing that I've just outlined where someone really seeks out, finds the experts, uh, both academic and practitioner, and learns from them and gets and appoints people who know what they're doing who are seeped in what works in terms of poverty alleviation, in terms of education, in terms of the delivery of social services and all the kinds of juvenile justice, all the kind of things that we're talking about here uh, I I have a lot of confidence that given her track record and the scope and breadth of the issues that she's worked on that uh, of all the candidates in terms of dealing with the issues we're talking about, there's no way, there's no one even close to her in terms of Competence and, uh, and 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 decades and decades long commitment to these kinds of issues.
1: All right. All right. So we're just about out of time. Um, as the last question of our show, we ask the sort of nebulous question where we uh, ask our interviewees to define success. What's your personal definition of success? And if you have any advice for college students who are trying to define success for themselves, what should we sort of look towards? I
2: think success is like if you. If you feel that you are uh, having a a fulfilling life and a life that is contributing to making other people's lives better, making the world a better place, like having that synergy between um, it's it's both, you know, it's it's doing something that is meaningful and being fulfilled by that. Um, I think. Either being fulfilled and doing something that uh, perhaps you're not entirely comfortable with as, as what you had hoped you would be doing in life uh, could lead to the, the proverbial midlife crisis sooner <laughs> rather than later. Um, and if you do things that you think are making the world better but you're not fulfilled for whatever reasons, and it might not be the job itself, it may be decisions you're making about your own life or how you're living your life. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't care about that or, 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 or ensure that you're doing all you can to, 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 uh, take care of yourself in those ways, I think that's also, um, uh, less than, than, um, than, uh, what, what is possible. So, um, I guess it's, it's putting those two together and, yeah. and figuring out a, that, uh, and it's, it's so idiosyncratic and so peculiar to each individual and, you know, one of the exciting things about the the, the world, changing the world, uh, is that whether, whether you're trying to do stuff domestically or internationally, it doesn't appear to be that, like, if you want to be a CPA, you get your accounting degree and you take some tests and then you're a CPA. Like, there's no such path. For social justice advocates, they're always like they, You, everybody always has a crazy story for how they ended up getting it. There's like there's no, you know, so it can be a little daunting and frustrating to a young person, like looking up and going, Well, yeah, I just heard this person and they went and uh, they went here and then they went there and then they zigzagged over there. That's and why like, they
0: make the most interesting
2: people. Yeah, they're so interesting, <laughs> but then there's no like, there's no clear roadmap. So sometimes that can be a little daunting, but I would turn it around and say, Look at it, uh, rest assured. <clears throat> that uncertainty can, if you ex- if you accept that it's not going to be all laid out with the breadcrumbs, um, then uh, it can be an incredibly interesting ride, uh, because you're constantly in these fields, opening doors, uh, going into new rooms, uh, and then finding that there's all these other doors you didn't even know about because you just like it just wasn't obvious from where you were sitting on the other side of the door and so i can't tell you how many times like i, I, don't know, I shifted over the course of 30 years because i because the i learned uh, i came into contact with new people i was in, in new places and i had never even considered that there were the things that i could do in li- in this life and so that was shoot me, rocket me off to a new uh, objective, and I think if you're if you're willing to, to excuse the cliches, follow your heart in some ways, but do it strategically, and and and, and you know always be uh, uh, consulting with people who have done it. You know that you have a set of professors here that are remarkable uh, at these five schools in the consortium, and you know. They all have office hours and uh, there are probably dozens of people who dozens of professors who have done something in the field that you want to go into, uh, whatever it is. And so like going just because they're not your professor for your class, just go make an appointment and sit down and just ask them their life story. And then like who knows who you might strike up a, a friendship with, who knows what they who they know. And maybe they know about some internship that you never heard about or they know about some incredible place you could visit or go to and work you making these kinds of relationships and with 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 professors and alliances with your fellow classmates will last a lifetime i mean it just is really make the most of every relationship every opportunity every speaker that comes to to campus you know they have that wonderful thing every night uh, yeah where, where there's speakers every night, I walk by that thing and there's it's full of people you know just like on, on the edges of their seats you know go to those things and listen and see and see the see the world from different people's eyes so at this place this little campus you know uh, uh just a speck on a satellite map you know is is, is a whole world in and of itself and in this world in the four or five years or six years or however long it takes you get to out of here uh you know uh you can experience an entire world and 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 expand your horizons dramatically and uh by by investing your time here but also spending time doing volunteer work, spending time traveling abroad, uh studying abroad and doing all those kind of things. Like just push the boundaries, go down the less be well-traveled path and 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 follow the heart and I'm one hundred percent sure with this With the degree you have here in your back pocket, you're going to be absolutely fine.
1: Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you again, Mr. Pendergast, for joining us. And to all the listeners out there, remember to stay hungry.